0: Good morning, morning. let's turn once more in our Bibles to Jonah, in our Old Testament, Jonah chapter 4, if you haven't already done so, that song, Who Am I, it's such a tender anthem to the patience of God for his people, that the Lord of all the earth, would care for people such as us. And you know, we have to be taught that, not just told that. And I believe we see in Jonah, the fourth chapter, one of the ways that God teaches his own, that he cares for them. God takes Jonah to school. Again and again, And again, because God is a strong and patient teacher, isn't he? Some of you maybe even now have a sense of being taught by God. And God's people so often are slow, maybe stubborn pupils, if you can relate to that at all. Maybe you know someone really well who can. Let's put it that way. And God's grace and patience as a teacher of his people is evident all throughout the narrative of Jonah. Remember, Jonah is that prophet who ran from God's commission to go to Nineveh. And uh, God sent uh, a wind and and a storm at sea. And then he sent the great fish all to instruct his prophet of the folly, of running outside of the will of his God. But Jonah is slow and stubborn as a pupil, isn't he? Aren't you glad you can't relate to that? (laughs) Because we find Jonah once more in the fourth chapter of his own narrative that he is seething and sulking outside of Nineveh, having just preached the word of God just as he was told to and having just um, seen with his own eyes uh, the greatest uh, gospel harvest recorded in Scripture, uh, he, he should be celebrating, uh, not uh, seething, but that's what he's doing. Why is he mad? Well, he just cannot fathom that God would show mercy to people such as the wicked Assyrians living there in Nineveh. Perhaps even more so, he had really hoped to go back home to Israel as the godly man who preached the destruction of Israel's greatest enemy, those same Assyrians, and to have it happen. And now he's got to go slinking back to Israel, he imagines, not celebrated, but despised, maybe even rejected. And so Jonah's anger burns. And what we're confronted with here in in this last chapter of Jonah is a a, a man of God, one of God's children, who serves the Lord with, with mixed motives. He's obedient. He eventually goes to Nineveh. Uh, And he actually preaches the message that God gave him to preach. He's obedient in that respect. And yet he has mixed motives and he has some self-preoccupation. In other words, he's just like us. So often in our own service to our king. And the question is, well, what does God do with his kids when they serve him with such mixed motives? What does God do with his children when uh, we serve with, uh, with traces of self-interest even. Does he, does he punish us? D- does he cast us away? Well, no, and he, and he doesn't do that to Jonah either. What, what he does is he takes us back to school. God graciously and tenderly takes us to the school of providence so that we might learn. God often teaches his people through experiences, what they will not otherwise absorb. It's as if a loving father says to us as his kids, I I can't just tell you this, I'm going to have to show you this. You're going to have to feel this one. Because God intends to narrow the gap between the godly life you and I profess and, and do truly want and the life we actually live right now. God's teaching providences, divinely managed experiences, are meant to to bless us by by growing us into the people He's promised to make us. And so today we just join Jonah. This is kind of part two of where we were last week, uh, but it, it didn't seem all that interesting to call it part two. And so we're calling it the School of Providence. But it's the same same idea here, Jonah goes back to school to learn some things. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. But but it displeased Jonah exceedingly that God spared Nineveh. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what God, what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And so it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. Remember from last week, verse 2 shows us that Jonah knows that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness. This is not new information to Jonah at all. He's praying this truth to God. He knows that God is the one who relents from doing harm. Jonah knows his Bible. He's, he's quoting from Exodus 34. And so it it reminds us that, you know, as we think about providences, the circumstances that God brings into or allows to come into our lives, we really must read them through the lens of Scripture. That's what God is inviting Jonah to do here. Jonah, you know all about who I am up here. You 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 know my word And now I want you to understand what I'm going to allow you to experience and see if you can't reconcile the two. So God's providences must be read through the lens of Scripture. We're not meant to live life reading our circumstances like tea leaves. Some of you need to listen to this. And just deciding for ourselves what we think God is saying through those circumstances. That's not biblical living at all. God leads and reveals and instructs in ways that are consistent with his word. Amen? Job, for example, couldn't find the meaning in all of his troubles. But the thing about Job, by God's grace, is he didn't forsake God or lose confidence in the promises of God. Remember, uh, Job was a fellow who knew what what Moses says in Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are mysteries to God's providences that are just beyond us. Okay? But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that that we may do all the words of this law. And so Job is is the fellow who comes along and says, Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. I may not be feeling (laughs) the preserving care of God right now. But those feelings are not going to determine my understanding of who God is. Though he slays me, I will yet trust in him. But the thing of it is, is Jonah is not Job, is he? Jonah is not experiencing God's mysterious providence. You know, stuff that are just kind of beyond us. Jonah is experiencing God's teaching providence. Jonah is going to be taken through some circumstances with some help from a plant and a worm and some wind. And he's going to learn experientially what he thinks he really believes in his head. God is slow to anger. Jonah knows this. And yet Jonah burns with anger. So in verse 5 we're told that Jonah's anger is not the only thing burning. His skin is now burning, isn't it? And he's seething and he's just sulking as he sits there outside the eastern edge of the city. Maybe he entered Nineveh from the west and he preached his way through and now he sits on a high point overlooking the city and he's still hoping against hope that God is going to change his mind and wipe these dirtbag Ninevites away. He's still thinking, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see something even bigger than, the, than what God did to Sodom. You know, And the odd thing about Jonah, as we saw last week, is he actually wants that. He, he preached the gospel in Nineveh the way some people preach the gospel, sadly, today. They, 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 they don't leave out the, the reality of God's wrath for sin. It's just that they actually want to see that happen. How many of you know that is not the heart of God? And Jonah has to learn this, doesn't he? God doesn't overthrow the Ninevites in destruction. He overthrows their rebellious hearts. And he grants them belief in God. He grants them repentance from sin. Has this miracle happened to you? You've been granted belief in God who desires to spare sinners his wrath. So hot is Jonah's anger at God's mercy toward Nineveh that it it probably took him a little while to realize his own body is baking here in the desert. The city of Nineveh sits on the bank of the Tigris River. There's a picture of it here. This is the area around uh, the city of Mosul in Iraq, which encompasses the ancient city of Nineveh. And you can see it it mostly stretches along the river and you can see why. The farther you get from the water, it starts to get really dry and really crisp really fast. The weather forecast for Mosul, Iraq, today is 115 degrees. And, and forget about the whole it's a dry heat business, you know. The, the thing is, is that, that doesn't even make headlines in that part of the world like it would here. That's the, a sign of the apocalypse when it's over 100 degrees here, right? It's, that's just the way it is there all the time. So you can imagine people hugging the banks of the river as this great city is built. And so Jonah does what any sensible person would do outside the city. He made himself a shelter, says verse 5, and he sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. I found it interesting that the, the word shelter... Translates the Hebrew word, uh, like some of your Bibles say booth. The word sukkoth uh, refers to uh, the booths, the little tabernacles that were made by God's people as they wandered through the desert. Uh, the tabernacles they were, they were commanded to build to commemorate God's deliverance from Egypt and their journey to the promised land. So Jonah knew how to build these little booths, these little shelters. But isn't it interesting that the, the type of structure that should have been reminding him of the faithfulness of God and the tenderness of God toward people um, is totally lost on him. And, and, and so Jonah just sits there in this, in this shelter and he's, he's sulking. The Hebrew people celebrated the festival of booths or tabernacles at harvest time. It was a joyful time to, to, to remember God's uh, bounty, his, his provision. And, and yet here Jonah sits in a booth and, and a great gospel harvest has just occurred. In fact, the greatest one ever. But, but for Jonah, it's not a joyful time. For, for Jonah, it's not a time uh, to reflect on the, the vastness of God's grace and mercy. There is still a wide gap, in other words, between Jonah's belief in the God of mercy and his own reflection of God's mercy in the world around him. How wide is the gap? Well, think of it in just really practical human terms. Jonah uh, possibly could have been staying with the king of Nineveh. What a concept! Every Ninevite, the scripture says, was converted, miraculously and radically converted to faith in the living God. Do you think there might have been some joy in the city? I mean, I'm just spitballing here, but I'm thinking they might have had like nice dinners going and stuff. And Jonah could have been in on that. Jonah could have been Spending some time in a in a nice, cool room with some of the newborns in god's family he, he he could have been enjoying a banquet with those who are newly adopted into the family of god's covenant people and but, but what's going on with Jonah? Well, he's proud, isn't he? And, he and he's prejudiced, and so he'd rather sit by himself outside the city, baking in the sun. How messed up is that? He's so full of pride in himself. And he's so full of prejudice against those people. People not like him. People not like his countrymen in Israel. That he sits there. Waiting to be vindicated. And, 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 you th- and you might be tempted to judge Jonah rather harshly until you realize, good heavens, don't God's people today still waste a lot of time sitting around being angry, waiting to be vindicated? Jonah's wait for the wrong outcome is killing him. Some of you perhaps know what it is to chafe at the teaching providence of God in your life. And your desired outcome is not what He's allowed. Your wait for the wrong outcome, Do, do you see that it's harming you? Wasted time. Lost opportunity to serve the Lord. Discontentment strangling your joy in the Lord. And and, and living as a a spectator to this abundant life that God has for his people. Not really participating in that abundant life yourself. And, And God comes to you in his word today and he says, hey... Is it is it right for you to be angry? The answer is no, but just think on it. Is it right for you to be angry? I wonder if God has you in his school of providence today. Do do you hear him? Has he has he gotten your attention? And the Lord prepared a plant, says verse 6, and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. Now this is a good thing, right? You need shade. You're miserable without it. Now you have shade. Your your misery is relieved. And And we see throughout Jonah's narrative this business of God preparing this and sending that. Um, it's, it's all over Jonah's story. He wants us to understand that God has been doing all of these things. They're not random. God is superintending what you and I would call circumstances. Oh, how nice, a plant has sprung up. No, God did that. God did that. And he did so very purposefully. Do you realize that God's providence encompasses his sovereignty. He's in control of everything. It encompasses his foreknowledge. He already knows the future. He's already there. The future you're so worried about, God's already there and in control of it. It encompasses his predestination. How many of you know God's purposes will be fulfilled? Even the way he makes use of human will. All of those attributes of God encompass his providence. In other words, randomness has no home in God's universe. God controls all in the tiniest details. God orders the affairs of kingdoms. Oh, that God's people would believe that today. God orders the affairs of families and every member in the family Not a sparrow falls from the ground. Not not, not a hair falls from your head. Outside the providence of God. And and what Jonah is meant to learn is that his, his purposes for his people are good. That's meant to be a great comfort to God's people. It's not just that he's in charge. But the one who is in charge does all things well whether we see it in our fallen finite eyes or not. God is purposely guiding all things to accomplish his good purposes and his promises to his people. You see, Jonah was a prophet who ran around preaching to God's own people um, in Israel. The promise that God had made to Abraham and the trouble with Israel is the same trouble we sometimes have. We, they heard what they wanted to hear. The promise was that God would bless Israel. And God will bless anybody else who blesses Israel. But aren't you glad you live in Israel and you're not one of those creeps outside of us? Well, that wasn't what God had promised Abraham at all. He said to Abraham, hey, through your seed, all nations will be blessed. My people will come from all over my world. So in verse 6, this plant has come at God's direction to to relieve Jonah's misery when he needs it most. But, But it's also come to be used of God to train Jonah that his understanding of God's ways is way too insufficient. His understanding of God's promises, though he is a prophet, is insufficient. And so he must learn. Do you realize, friend, that when the heat of God's providence enters your life, you're meant to actually take shelter in him, not what you hope he might provide Jonah's about to learn that. And there's a lot of speculation, isn't there, about what kind of plant this is? You can read really long articles about how maybe it's a a, a castor bean plant or something like that. And um, for the sake of time, let me just say, who cares? (laughs) It, it, It really doesn't matter what kind of plant it is. In the same way, it didn't really matter whether it was a whale or a fish or what kind of fish. It's God's plant. God brought the plant to cover Jonah's head. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. And by the time we get to verse 6, we say, well, he's so far so good. He's passed his first exam. God has blessed, and Jonah is grateful. Jonah sees this this temporal relief from his misery as, as coming from God's good hand. And and I don't want us to just blow past that, because we do well to follow suit, don't we? Do you realize that every good thing comes to us from God? There there is no such thing as, as, as blessing that we create for ourselves. It is all God's handiwork. And we do well to be grateful to our God for his good things, the things that he sends into life that relieve us, that rejuvenate us, that shelter us, because ultimately they're from him. But, but listen, that attitude of gratitude that we're, we, so many of us have, do you notice how it's challenged a bit and even melts when the heat of life gets turned up? Well, now we think maybe God's done us, you know, dealt us a bad hand. He's given us a raw deal. As morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. (laughs) How interesting. God prepared a plant. So earthly comforts uh, all come to us at God's command, every one of them. And now the same hand that sent the wind and the whale now sends the worm. God had prepared a fish under the surface of the sea. Jonah couldn't couldn't comprehend that at the time. Maybe he wasn't even sure when he was in the thing what was going on. And now also something Jonah cannot comprehend that beneath the soil, there's a worm sent by God. To eat the roots or whatever of this plant. Earthly comforts disappear at God's command. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And God is just as active in the removal of this plant as he was in the arrival of the plant. Verse 8 says, And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. It's not an easy thing for people like us to bless the Lord when we are suddenly without the temporal gifts that he's given to us. that's, that's That's a greater challenge, isn't it? And yet, God allows this very thing in Jonah's life. In fact, God orchestrated this very thing in Jonah's life. Rather than relieving Jonah's misery, God actually increases Jonah's misery. Certainly, that's how he would have seen it. Do you realize that earthly afflictions ebb and flow at God's command? Such is God's school of providence. Israel's own songbook, the Psalms, declare this to God's people. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Some of you here today perhaps are, are experiencing God's afflictive providence. <laughs> are, are, are you attentive to what he's saying? God, who is holy, is so committed to building holiness in his own that his lessons at times must be great, and his lessons at times must be even grievous from a human perspective to get our attention. So Jonah is meant to find his shelter, if you will, in his God, not in the stuff that God provides Unless we think too critically of this poor man, Jonah. Remember, Jonah is a man of God. He's not an apostate. He's someone who has been used mightily of God in Israel and was just used mightily of God in Nineveh. He's a man of faith. He's a man of prayer. We just read his prayer in in verse 2. He's a man of courage. How many of you know it probably took some spine to go to Nineveh and preach a message of destruction? And Jonah is truly zealous for God. In fact, it's his zeal for the Lord that causes him to be concerned that God's own reputation is at stake if Nineveh is not destroyed. He's wrong about that, but that's what he felt. My point is simply this. Jonah's a work in progress. Despite all of his time walking with the Lord, despite all of uh, the different ways that God has used him, he is still very much a mixed bag and very much a work in progress. And you know what I'm thinking, and I'm just spitballing here, but so are you. And so am I. Still a work in progress. And God is pleased to take us to his school of providence, isn't he? So that we might see what he's doing in the world around us and in our own lives. And look at all of that through the lens of scripture, who he has revealed himself to be to us in his word. And grow. And this teaching grace of God... It continues our entire lives. People in Israel would have looked at Jonah and thought of him as the, the quintessential godly man. Successful prophet. Look at all that he's done. And yet God is showing us what? In his work in the life of Jonah, he's showing us that we are all lifelong learners. Our graduation day, is when the Lord calls us home, however that happens, when we see Jesus as he is and find that we've been made like him. Until then, school is in session, isn't it? And we're still learning. Wasn't it the Apostle Paul who says, a a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. That's an amazing passage there in 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, uh, th- this, this thorn in the flesh weakened an otherwise useful apostle. God did this. God cripples his apostle with physical pain. Why? Because God must show Paul <laughs> what, what, what a proud man he might otherwise be. So Paul says, I needed the thorn that I might take the crown off my own head and better serve the one who wore a crown of thorns for me. God took away the plant to train Jonah toward that better shade, that that ultimate shelter in God. Jonah needed to become a man who could sing honestly from Israel's hymn book. Wouldn't it it be a marvelous thing to to be able to sing praises to God honestly and not always be thinking to yourself, gosh, I'm I'm not even sure I actually believe that. Listen to what God's people sang. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. And Jonah needed to see that the mission to Nineveh was God's mission, not his. And the message for Nineveh had to be God's message, not his. And the result of the proclamation needed to be about God, not about him and his preconceived notions of what God should do. So the sun rose, says verse 8, and then that sun, says verse 9, beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. Wow. I read that verse and I see a little girl angry at her parents thinking about packing up her bags she's five years old so she's got it all figured out and she's just going to pack up and go and so her father says hey I love you so let me help you pack and and off she goes with her Barbie backpack and it's got all the essentials you know Fruit roll ups and all of it. And she sits on the curb, does my daughter, and waits. Yeah, it's right for me to be angry. Do you see how tender God is toward his own? We don't read of a lightning bolt coming from heaven to zap Jonah out of existence. God just leaves Jonah to soak in his own juices for a bit that he might think about the relationship between the God who brought a plant and a worm and some wind and what just happened. In Nineveh. So we'll leave Jonah there for now. And I suppose it's unreasonable to think that I would preach through Jonah without quoting Moby Dick. And so if, 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 you've, been, if you've been waiting for it, here it is. Here it is. Um, Herman Melville, Melville writes this most interesting thing. One of his characters, the, the narrating character in Moby Dick is a fellow named Ishmael. And, and he says this. He says, Heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly need mending. There you go. There's There's Jonah, right? Just as Nineveh needed the saving mercy of God, so Jonah, a professional religious guy, still needs the sanctifying mercy of God. He's just as needy as the Ninevites. And yes, Jonah is a type of Christ. We don't want to forget that. Jonah was buried in the belly of that whale well for three days and three nights, and resurrected to preach a gospel of repentance and faith. And Jesus has says what a greater than Jonah has come. Jesus was buried and resurrected to call his people to what repentance and faith. Do you think it's possible the shade from this plant is a picture of God's strong desire to shelter his people from the fire of his wrath for their sin? And what has our God provided? He's provided a strong shelter, a lasting shade in our Savior Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we don't want to consider Jonah without considering Jesus. Have you, have you run to Jesus? Have, have you run to the shelter, the, the shade that God has provided you in Christ? Jesus said, look, the people of Nineveh one day will stand in judgment over the unbelieving people of Israel in his day, in Jesus' day. will Will such people condemn you? Because you missed the one greater than Jonah? Well, let me just end with this. If you're in school right now, which is another way of saying you're in school right now, and so am I. All of us are in God's school of providence because he loves us so much. And he will use what you and I call circumstances to bring our attention to the truth that it's, he's revealed of himself in his word and see where we need to change. Remember, God is immutable. He, need, he has no need to change. He's perfect in all of his attributes. It turns out we're not. And so God has us in school now, doesn't he? And he may just be showing us that we too sometimes serve with pride and with prejudice. And he may be showing us that we too have been provided with a gracious shelter that we cannot create on our own that he'll not take away as we run to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the example of one who we can relate to so easily. And Lord, we thank you that we have this narrative in our Bibles because your servant Jonah, by your grace, finally got it. I pray that you would pour out that same grace upon us, those of us who are your kids, Lord, that we would cooperate with your desire to make us more like you, to be to be brighter, more clear reflections of your holiness and your mercy and your grace. And Lord, I pray that if there are any among us as we've been working our way through this foreshadowing of Christ, that Jesus, as you have been lifted up, you would draw sinners to yourself, that our family would grow, Lord, by your measure. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.